the Good Enough Mother podcast. I'm your host, Sophie, a sociologist and a mother, and my mission is to change how motherhood is culturally defined and individually experienced. I want women who are mothers to feel supported, empowered, held, revered, and respected. I have discussions here with experts and changemakers who want to expand the conversation that we're having about motherhood. You're listening to episode number 62, Awakening to the Possibilities of Birth. In this episode, I speak with Maha Almusa, founder and creator of Belly Dance Birth and Embody Birth. I found this episode actually really hard to name, to think of a title that encapsulates and represents the themes that Maha covers in this episode. There is a lot here and of course how you hear this information, this conversation and think about some of these themes will inevitably be shaped by your own context and positioning. So whether you're listening to this as somebody who is preparing to give birth for the first time, whether you have given birth many times, what your experiences of birth have been, will all go into shaping how you experience this conversation. So I want to share with you a little bit about Maha and what we cover. Maha is of Palestinian and Lebanese origin and she draws on her cultural ancestral and mothering wisdom to teach her signature childbirth education and preparation programs for mothers-to-be and for birth professionals. In this episode she shares part of her incredible wife story of being kidnapped as a baby and her connection to land and culture being severed and then an amazing story of reconnection which happened right before she became a mother herself. Mahar speaks about fear and patriarchy and the divisions that have been created and perpetuated between women when it comes to birth and motherhood. She talks about the rites of passage, uh, particularly the rites of passage she's experienced through menopause and the really revolutionary potential for the connections that can be made and fostered between generations of women. And she has a beautiful line that she says towards the end of the episode saying, draw on my experience and I will hold you in yours which I think is is so powerful. Uh, we reflect on the sacredness of birth, talk about experiences of trauma. Maha talks about mystery in birth and she frames it as my story, which I thought was really fascinating. And she asks us to rise up into our power and our voice. Maha is the author of her book, Dance of the Womb, The Essential Guide to Belly Dance for Pregnancy and Birth. It has been endorsed by Dr. Michael Odent, Sheila Kitzinger, Dr. Sarah Buckley, and she's created the Belly Dance Birth Practice video series. It's called Dance of the Womb, A Gentle Guide to Belly Dance for Pregnancy and Birth. You'll find details of, of these in the show notes. Maha is a mother to her three children. She's also an international speaker and a natural birth and breastfeeding advocate. Maha gave birth to her last child, her daughter, at home when she was 46 years of age and she breastfed her daughter for eight and a half years. She has brought now her birth programs online and has created a conscious birth education online program. It's called Embody Birth, Unlock and Awaken Your Ancestral Womb Wisdom. She also facilitates her online embodied birth practitioner certification training, and that is for a worldwide audience and has been taught in person in many countries from 2011 to 19, including in Japan, India, the US, New Zealand, Australia, and various cities throughout China as well. Maha has a passion for bringing women home to their own heart, hands, wombs, babies, and sacred knowing for birth and beyond. Head to the show notes for all of the details of how you can find Maha and connect with her. And I really hope you enjoy this episode. 
you so much for being here with us, Maha. I'm very thrilled to have you on the podcast today. And I would love for you to share with us a little bit about your work. I know as we're having this conversation, you said you've just finished uh, delivering the beginning of your certification program in Vietnam. So this is a global conversation, isn't it? And I know that our listeners are situated globally as well. So I'd love to hand it over to you and for you to share a little bit about yourself with us. Hi, everybody. Thanks, Dr. Sophie. Lovely to be here. So, yes, my name is Maha Al Musa, and I'm of Palestinian Lebanese origin. I was kidnapped from my mom as a six-month-old baby and was brought to Australia when I was two years of age by my father, unbeknown to my mum. So, you know, that experience in many ways has seeded the woman that I have become, and that is the body of work that I carry is also around some of that story, which we often find is the case. And I was here at two. I was at boarding school at four in Melbourne, my father married when I was seven, my stepmother. So from six months to seven, I didn't have any mother, my natural mother. And then I grew up, you know, with an Australian mother in the Australian culture and knew nothing of my own mother. So I was estranged from her. And it wasn't really until I was, well, firstly, 21. And I got the opportunity to go back to the Middle East to my Palestinian family in Jordan. So being Palestinian, we had lost everything in 1948 and my father's family went to Jordan. So I had that amazing opportunity to go and reconnect to my Palestinian roots for the first time since I had been a baby. And that was an amazing experience to be immersed in the Middle Eastern culture, the women's culture, the connection of the feminine and how strong that culture is as opposed to what I'd experienced here in Australia. And I realised that being a woman of colour, being a woman of, you know, Middle Eastern origin, growing up in Australia, no wonder I had always felt estranged in this land. And I had always connected very strongly to the Indigenous people in Australia. And I think it was all of that fact that I come from those Indigenous roots, those Palestinian roots. And I had a beautiful connective time in Jordan. It was like a piece of the puzzle was put back together for me of where I came from, this strong female lineage. And then when I was 27, I actually had a very small photo of my natural mother. And in Arabic, it had her name in, and her registration number in the Middle East, in Lebanon. And I was able to trace her through the Lebanese consulate in Sydney Yes, it was an amazing story. And I had a big TV station wanting to do a story on me, SBS here in Australia. It's an ethnic TV station. And we were going to go to Lebanon and look for my mum. And I was working with a documentary filmmaker. And anyway, to cut a long story short, after five years, my mum was found in Beirut in Lebanon. And I couldn't believe it because I knew of people who'd been adopted in Australia who couldn't find their mother. And here I was, you know, my mother found on the other side of the world. And the funny thing was I'd shaved all my hair off and I was bald <laughs> when I, you know, got the phone call from her. And I thought, oh, my God, I can't believe I found my mum and I've got no hair, you know, going through that stage in my life. I was 32. And anyway, my brother and I, we both went to Lebanon when I was 33 and I met my mum for the first time and she was 67. 
And it was an amazing meeting. She had been an air hostess with Kuwait Airways. My dad had started Kuwait Airways in the 50s with the king, the sheikh of Kuwait at the time. So this was a time when Lebanon was the Paris of the Mediterranean, where it was a place where everybody wanted to live and the, the currency of the Lebanon Lebanese pound. And, you know, it was a very happening place in the 50s and 60s. So, you know, being taken out of that kind of vibration and atmosphere, coming to Australia alone and not having any of that family lineage connection. So it was huge to meet my mum at 33. And funnily enough, she had been pregnant with me at 33 and birthed me at 34. And I had been trying to get pregnant for five years. So I had a husband and then another husband, two English husbands, and I had been trying to get pregnant. And six months after meeting my mum, I got pregnant for the first time. And I had been told I had polycystic ovaries. But I always knew it wasn't something medical or physical that was wrong with me. It was a sense of abandonment. It was a sense of barrenness. It was living in no woman's land. It was not feeling a belonging or a connection and drifting with my identity of who am I as severed from my natural mother from another culture. And so it was a huge healing to meet my mum on all of those levels and, of course, other levels, to actually see where I came from, to recognise her in me, to see that we use the same moisturiser, <laughs> that the way we put our lipstick on was the same. So all of those kind of physical characteristics were really intriguing to me because you can imagine 33 years, you know, not ever knowing her, although I knew her deep in my heart and she was strong. She was one of those women that people used to come and sit with her and she would counsel them and help them. And I'm kind of like that, <laughs> you know. So all of these aspects of myself that I discovered on meeting my mum and, of course, my father's Palestinian side, I had all of the strong characteristics there as well and that Indigenous, earthy, gypsy part of me. And so when I came back to Australia after meeting my mum, six months later, I was pregnant with my first son. And I thought, of course, that motherless mother that lived within me in that barren land was now activated. And I opened up to receive the gift of my child, the seed of my partner. And that's sort of how I saw all of this, not through a clinical lens, but through a much more sacred, spiritual lens of deep, emotional, you know, longing and understanding. It was a gift to me. And I'm so grateful for that because that's 25 years ago now. My son will be 25 in December. And, you know, he was born six weeks premature. And I came and I was living in Byron Bay, the home of home birth. You could choose from, you know, a dozen home birth midwives at the time in 1996 in Byron. It was a beautiful conscious community. And it really fitted in with the consciousness that I had, you know, revealed to me through this journey of fertility, conception, pregnancy. And so, you know, I wanted to have a home birth with him. I found a beautiful midwife, but he decided to come six weeks premature. And what this experience with my mum had taught me to trust, to trust in the unfolding of life. And so when I began having contractions six weeks premature, I knew I had to just trust. 
And I had started to also connect with my Middle Eastern roots a little bit more strongly. And in that pregnancy, there was a midwife teaching belly dance for pregnancy and birth. And she saw that I could move and dance easily because it was part of my cultural roots, oriental dance. And six months after my son was born, I actually took over that class. So I had started to use the movements in labour as well, just instinctively and intuitively, and I felt this strong connection to this aspect of my Middle Eastern roots. My son was born early. He was helicoptered away because he had hyaline membrane. His lungs weren't working. And I thought, isn't that so fascinating and interesting that I was taken from my mum as a baby, not at birth, but still, within that, you know, vibration, that first year after birth, still with that connection to mother. And he's taken from me and I'm taken from my mum. And another twist in the whole story was five years after he was born, I was looking through my passport of when I came to Australia as a two-year-old. And the stamp in my passport was the 4th of December, 1964, What date was my son born? The 4th of December, 1996. And there it was again, the sign. Now, when you look for those signs and you see life outside of that intellectual, patriarchal, you know, systemic way of looking at things and you open up to the more feminine aspect, the psychic aspect, the intuitive, the instinctual, we start to see these patterns and these symbols And that's what I'm most interested in as an educator, as a birth educator. For me, that's the poetry of life that women carry within their wombs. That's what I want to know. That's what I want to experience. That's what I want to know from you and your audience and all the women I work with. That's what fascinates and interests me, the mysticism, the mystical side, which is a very strong component of my roots, of my Middle Eastern roots the artists, the poets, the writers. And a lot of people say to me, you teach Sufi mysticism for birth, Maha. Not just through the dance, but through the way I articulate and the way that I see the visions that are much bigger than what we are shown as women. We are given such narrow parameters to have this experience of birth within. We are in such limitation And the experience of birth is about expansion. It's about expanding into the experience and asking, what is meant for me? Show me the revelations so I can also heal, recalibrate, reaffirm, rejoice in, rebirth my maternal lineage and my paternal lineage. That is what we are meant to do through birth. And I have been teaching now 25 years and I am constantly frustrated at the limited way in which we view this incredibly expansive experience. And that is what embodied birth is about. It's about looking through the lens of expansion and revelation. And in that, what is my gift to the world? to my baby, my family, my community, my society, but to the world. We are not receiving the gifts that mothers have to give, regardless of the story 
because we say in embodied birth, everyone's voice is valuable and valid. And that is what is lacking, that awareness and understanding of the value of this experience to raise consciousness for humanity. And that is why I keep doing what I am doing. And maybe one day it will be understood and women will be free in birth. We need freedom in birth to be all that we need to be, not just free birth in opposition or rebellion against the system. No, every woman must be free to birth in her freedom and to be supported 100%, however that looks. And the problem we have now is that we divide women up into categories. I did it this way. I did it that way. I did it. And then we judge and value that as being better or worse or good or bad or right or wrong. There's the problem that we have. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my goodness. That is an incredible story. And the way that you have articulated that and woven that together, the threads of connection through all of your experiences and what you now teach and offer out to the world is so incredible. And so thank you for sharing that with us, Maha. And oh my goodness, there's so many ways I want to go with this conversation. I I guess I want to recognize first off the connections there intergenerationally, culturally as well, the connections between your body, your spirit, the land and your mother, right? And the way that you became a mother through the reconnection with your mother. I think that is just what an unbelievable story. And the the connections between the dates as well. Um, and part of what, you know, I hear as I listen to you is around the holding of space and the, the marking of how sacred the unknown is as well, like being able to open to possibilities and being able to be comfortable with not actually knowing all of the answers. And I wondered if you could speak to that sense of mystery and a sense of not knowing, but the ways that you draw together narrative and meaning, particularly for women who are pregnant at the moment or who may have been through a birth experience that they may find quite painful. And we know the rates of trauma and abuse that happen in our birthing system here in Australia and elsewhere as well. And and how would you speak to being able to make space for and hold space for the the mystery, but then the creation of the narrative after that as well? Mm. Well, the greatest liberation that we can give to ourselves is the ability through this rite of passage, ceremonial, celebrating experience, is to open to what is meant for you. And this is a very difficult place to dwell in because it is part of that mystery and we're not very good in being in the unknown because we have a world that has intellectualised the experience of pregnancy and birth and lost that psychic spiritual connection to it. So I call in embodied birth mystery my story. What is meant for me as I dance this path? And I think that that needs to be injected into more of the childbirth education like we do in embodied birth because once I can relax into what I need to experience for my birth, Things will show up that I never knew existed. So 
I will be open to that 360 degree, as we say in body birth, receivership. I look to the front of me. I look behind me. I look to the side of me. I open, so I'm expanding. If this is an experience of expansion and mystery, then I need to physically, emotionally, energetically open my body to that receivership and welcome in those things that are meant for me. Because if I know everything and I think that I do and I want to know everything, what happens is we close off. There creates a constriction in the body. And so I work with the body through dance, through the belly dance work, through movement. So if I'm able to open and dance and extend and create an intention of receiving, there's an energetic receivership that is part of that mystery. So when I am prepared to walk that path of the not knowing, as we say in body birth, know everything and then let it all go. And then I come down, down, down into my womb wisdom, connecting with my baby. I get out of my head. The baby doesn't come out of your head. The baby comes out of your pelvis, your yoni, your vagina. Get down to earth. If we want to activate the mystery, the wisdom, we must come down into the wise body womb blueprint. That is your template as a female. And what is meant for you will show up unless I'm intentionally frightened or constricting whatever that is. So I have to work with my body, my psychic body, my spiritual body, my physical, my emotional, my sexual my energetic body, in order to open to that 360-degree vision. And unfortunately, in our society, and this is global, this isn't just here in Australia, again, I come back to we have imposed fear and limitation onto the actual experience of pregnancy and birth. And women are just funneled through that limitation, as I mentioned before. And we don't think that there's anything else that there, that is available to us unless we have an awakening or this spirit of the baby wakes us up. Talk to your baby. What is baby revealing to you? Yeah? What is it that you are? restricting or in resistance to and so we look at that with a sense of curiosity not judgment wow isn't it interesting when that happened to me I responded or I reacted in this way within my body yeah so what this entails what mystery asks of us is self-awareness and the ability to excavate truthfully and honestly into who I was who I am, who I am becoming, and who I will be. So there's all these pointers along the way. It's a, the compass will guide us. But if we don't understand that these things are available to us, we will walk blind. Yeah? So the understanding that this even exists for us is really important. And then within that comes that skill, the art of the heart in vision. What is the vision that I have for my birth? What kind of birth do I want? What 
people do I want around me? What is the energy of the room, the environment? And then I start to build that around me. But in that, I'm always open. I always remain open. So we walk this fine line between my vision and remaining open to the mystery, my story. And actually, it's exciting. It's a beautiful feeling to think, I am the expert. I'm in charge here. I can manage this. I'm not handing my power to somebody else to tell me how to do this. This is really important because, as I said before, the society and the system globally has already set it up for us. They've already put the parameters in place and we just blindly follow through. That's what they want us to do. But I'm telling women, you be the spice. You be the spice of life. You add in your own spice and you do this. But you can't do this if you're disconnected or disassociated from your body and the experience and your baby. Your baby is having an experience as well. Yeah. So we have to recognise who is this soul that has implanted in my body, in my womb. We say in body birth, all babies are born on country. Your womb is your country, your first home. And, you know, we look, explore this in my Body Birth Online program, my birth preparation program for mothers and doulas and birth professionals to guide us through these kinds of inquiries, to get clear, to know that I am navigating my ship. And if I need help, if I need guidance, there are people that I can ask. I have a voice. I think that's the other thing that happens to women through the way the system projects the idea of pregnancy and birth as the saviour. We will save you. Yeah, It's not that you are in charge and you are the expert. It's that they are the experts and you will do as they say. No, that isn't the way it is. Mother and baby are at the centre. And from that centre, from my anchor, I flow, I flow from my anchor. But if my anchor is rocky, if my foundation is rocky, I won't be able to flow with that mystery and all that we've spoken about. So that's a really important thing. And that's why I use the dance. The dance is a metaphor for being anchored in my own knowing, but I can flow with the mystery and awaken to those revelations of what is meant for me on this journey. And that's the kind of education that I teach because I think that it has, it contains the powerful consciousness to lift humanity, to raise us from fear to love. And that is the opportunity that birth gives us. That's what we're meant to be doing. We're meant to be alchemizing the fear into love states. And then, as I said before, gifting that to the world. But what we have is a mixed up collusion between a system, a patriarchy and fear, which actually is imprinting deeper fear into women's bodies. And so we're doing it backwards. Wow. We're doing it backwards. Hmm. As you spoke there, and I mentioned this before we started recording, whenever I think we listen to to conversations about birth 
we think about where we're situated in terms of whether we've given birth before, if we're pregnant, we think back to the births we've had, the births that perhaps we've witnessed or supported others through. And so when I'm, I was listening to you, I was thinking back through my own birth experience and all of the ways that, that now I have a knowledge and an awareness and an understanding through some of, even some of the things you've just said there around being able to hold space for mystery and thinking that we thinking that we know it all but how dangerous that can be but also on the flip side of that saying that actually we we do need a knowledge and then drop into the body so can you speak to that a little bit more around what that process is for someone who might be listening right now who may be pregnant with their first baby in terms of having a knowledge and awareness particularly of the system that we're living within and how to perhaps navigate that in a way that's going to be most supportive for that woman but then being able to drop into the body while remaining open yet vulnerable how would you describe that Mm. positioning well, anything that's external is, I see it like a signpost, yeah? These are just signposts. You know, you get pregnant, you go to the doctor, you have a six-week scan or you have an ultrasound or, you know, when you get to 18 weeks, you have an... So these are just signposts along the way that we make decisions about, does that work for me? Is that what I need? Yeah? So there are a spectrum of women. Some women want to know and have all the knowledge And other women never go to a scan and completely trust, not that that's not trusting on the other end, but there's an absolute rejection of those signposts as such. And the other way I describe it as well is seeding the garden. So if you see your experience into mothering through pregnancy, birth, mothering, as you are cultivating a garden, so those foundations of that garden, you seed along the way from the information that you receive, from the knowledge that you receive, from your maternal lineage, from your mother, your mother-in-law, the person sitting next to you on the bus, the shopkeeper, the doctor, the midwife, whatever, you are seeding. So the, the thing here is that you choose those seeds that resonate most with you. It doesn't mean that you have to take every single seed and plant that garden and then you've got this overgrown bushy garden that you've got to kind of find your fight your way through. It's being discerning. And this, I think, is probably what's lacking with the overwhelm of information and the saturation that we have now of information. We've gone from one extreme to the other. There is so much that we confuse ourselves and we lose that anchor so the power of discernment is very important as we go through this journey and discernment says I take what I need from that external or those external signposts I stay connected to my internal landscape as I see the garden of what it is that I need so I feel secure so I feel safe so I feel seen, so I feel heard. And if that person who is looking after you doesn't make you feel that safety or there's something not right there for you, listen to that instinct or that intuitive feeling. You can say, no, this isn't working for me. I need to seek elsewhere. Because birth professionals are not perfect people, although that's what we think we we think that they're the perfect person that doctor must be or because he's a doctor he's got a label I must listen to him or that midwife 
No, they're people too. When I go to China and I am teaching obstetricians, midwives, doctors, and we're all sitting in a big circle, one of the first things as we go around the circle, I ask them, why are you an obstetrician? Why are you a doctor? Why are you a midwife? And often people have to really think about it. And not just on a superficial level, but on a deep personal level. Why do you do this work? And then I say to them, now take your label off. And who are we as we sit in this circle together? You know, now we don't have that hierarchy. You know, obstetrician, doctor, nurse, you know, or midwife, cleaning lady. We all take our label off. Now tell me, who are you? Because birth is an experience that takes us to the cutting edge of life. Yeah, it takes us to the depths of who we are in our humanity, in our compassion, in our dignity, in our love. And I want to know who is going to be in the space with me as I walk this delicate and vulnerable cutting-edge experience of life. Nobody just can come into my space. See your space as a temple. Be discerning about who and what and how does that feel for you. So boundaries are good. Being able to speak up is good. You may not get this in the first birth. You may not get it in the second. You might get it in the third or fifth. You may never get it. But to know that this is available is really important. Again, because most of us don't know that these things are available. We get pregnant and then we are pathologized. Suddenly we are an illness. We are not a whole woman birthing her whole baby in her wholeness and her holiness, as we say in embodied birth. That is who we are. We are bringing life to the world. And this must be respected of the highest order. And it's not. We are often at the bottom of the ladder. And my work in embodied birth is to say, women, rise up. Mothers, rise up. Your children are the legacy we leave to the world. Do not just hand them over to the powers that be. But if we don't instill and experience and embody these intuitive, instinctive, physiological, mammalian understandings of birthing, we are not going to be able to build those foundations for ourselves as mothers. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about, and I know you wanted to address, when I was in the worldwide media doing my breastfeeding advocacy from 2012 to 2016. So my story went viral many times with my daughter. I had a home birth with her at 46. I breastfed her eight and a half years. So from when she was three to seven, I was in the media advocating for natural term breastfeeding, mothers listening to their intuitive voice, listening to their child, public breastfeeding. And it was incredible to me to see the backlash and the vilification, mainly through mainstream media, especially here in Australia. We won't go into that. But the lack of respect for the mother's voice and the mother's knowing, and I say in embodied birth, 
There are nine words that put fear into the system, into the media, into the society, into, you know, the doctors, the hospitals. And those nine words are, I know what I am doing as a mother. Hello? There is this assumption that we don't know what we are doing. And it's ludicrous to think that we have got to this place where we are vilifying those who carry life and birth life and choose how to care for that baby, that child. Again, that limitation is what is presented to me on a platter and we have to say, no, that doesn't work for me, that works for me, or thank you for that, but I'm doing this. But what we do is we collapse into that majority voice and then feel ashamed and blame ourselves and lose that connection. And physiological, mammalian, uninterrupted, spontaneous birthing brings us closer to that I know what I am doing as a mother. It doesn't mean that if you haven't had that, you don't have that, but it brings us closer because we did it our way. We did it the way as nature intended. Yeah. So what we do is we categorise and we put into boxes all these different ways of mothering and then we make judgment on them. And that is what I am trying to break down. As I said before, we are all valuable. We are all valid. Everything we have to say and experience is that experience of what is possible, not what's impossible, which is what is often presented to us by society and the, the system. This isn't possible. And I ask, no, what is possible? What is possible for me on this journey? Yeah. Wow. And I'm wondering if you can speak to somebody who may be listening to this and has been through a birth experience uh, with their first baby or a subsequent babies where they they didn't get that opportunity then, right? They they didn't have the sacredness of that mystery and that possibility. They didn't have that awareness. They hadn't come across your work or others work in this space. And, and say we're in this experience of listening to this podcast episode now and we're thinking and recognising the disconnection we've experienced within ourselves and perhaps between us and our, our children as well through the interruption of these kinds of connective possibilities. What would you say to a woman now? And I'm, I'm wondering as well this in the context of the birth of your first son, right, and that separation that you went through and in terms of how to make meaning and regain a sense of our own power and autonomy and a sense of possibility on the other side of birth. Hmm. Well, Firstly, we are all at different developmental stages, yeah, and that's not consistent with the age either necessarily, yeah. That's life experience, that's your soul journey, that's the character, who you are, you know, what's happened to you in your life. So all of those things will play a role in our awareness and in our ability to be able to meet whatever arises, so we don't know. Birth is one of those experiences, and we all know this from all of those who've given birth, that we don't know 
until we walk through that doorway, we can read about it, we can listen to these podcasts, we can, you know, talk to your mother, or we can connect with your partner. But until you have the somatic, psychic, you know, actual experience of birth, we don't really know it. It's the first time that our body has opened to this experience. So we mustn't be hard on ourselves. We must take that experience and look at it again with curiosity, yeah, and that self-excavation and that self-inquiry. And to go through the non-judgmental path means that I am kind to myself. And it also means that I'm not comparing myself to others because my story, again, my mystery is for me. So I didn't know necessarily what I was going to experience. But if I can succeed or plant that intention of remaining open, again, to having the courage to meet whatever it is that I'm meant to meet, that in itself, we don't know the alchemy that is occurring within that. Yeah, So we can say, I wished I'd had this happen or I wished that happened, but that wasn't what happened. We have to work with what happened. And if I'm pregnant again, now I can take the gifts of that learning into the next pregnancy with a new soul that I carry or souls, and now my wiser self, my knowing self, can take that experience and go, okay, what is it that I need to do now? for this next experience that I'm about to have. So it's accumulative in many ways. And it doesn't mean that the experience you had is going to be the experience you have next. That's the beauty of birth. We don't know. You might have a different partner. There might have been a different pathway that you got pregnant. There are many considerations to that. But I think that if we can let go of the critical self, and coming to the compassionate self, having compassion for ourselves, knowing I didn't know that, that's okay, but now I know better. I don't know what Maha Al Musa has been is saying. I've never heard this before, but now I'm hearing it. Wow, how interesting. Now I can open those pathways and gateways for looking through the lens of possibility of something else that is available to me. And I think we are in a society now that, you know, we don't have patience anymore. Everything is rush, rush, rush. So I feel like I know everything and I'm important and aren't I wonderful and aren't I great, you know. And it's like your vulnerability isn't that. Your vulnerability is like I don't know. I need help here or I need to sit with myself in a quiet space and really look inward and be truthful about myself and my experiences and you know as I said before I need a counselor or I need this help or I need to do this course or whatever that is listening to the self with that compassion and I think that is kind of what we lack in this whole mummy shaming mummy wars we didn't have all of that 20 25 years ago and this division and it's not our fault as mothers it's imposed on us by, again, the media and the system out there because that's what makes money. Fear makes money. When I'm fearful, 
I won't follow my inner advice, my inner self. You know, I will reach out because I think I'm lacking in something. And that usually is a cost some kind of money. So then I grab everything. I grab at everything. So going back to discernment and self-love and compassion. That's what we do through this journey. That's why it's a rite of passage. We transition from one state into another state. That's what a rite of passage is. So if I look back at myself from 25 years ago, wow, look where I was. And three children later and birth educator, travelling the world, all that I've learned from the women I've worked with and the doctors and obstetricians and midwives, everybody. On a heart level, I learn about myself and then that is what I give back to the world, yeah? yeah? So all our experiences have a value, but unfortunately in the grand scheme of things, we don't, especially in the West, value motherhood, value the experiences. We prefer to divide us up. And then we're fighting amongst each other instead of valuing each other and deeply listening to one another's journey. Yeah, I hear you. I I talk about this analogy of a, a fish tank, you know, as our social structure and the mm. way that that's the kind of patriarchal institution of motherhood. And as, you know, agents or fish or mothers inside that tank, we are looking towards each other, right, and, and criticising each other as to how mm. we're not living up to the particular uh, idealistic set of what is seen as normal and the way that mm. things should be in our motherhood. And, and this kind of division means that we're not actually able to uh, kind of ram that tank, right? We're not able to create cracks in the system when we're focusing on each other and on self as well, right, in terms of the guilt mm. and shame and that compassion that you that you spoke to there and, and the kindness. And, you know, I want to thank you for sharing sharing your wisdom here even as you're speaking I've mentioned before I'm thinking about my own experience and and for a long time I sort of told myself after my daughter's birth that I felt robbed by the experience of Mm. I did all this preparation and you know it was out of my control and I had these external factors right of finding out my husband had been cheating on me and it it completely what felt like railroaded my experience and the sacredness of that but now looking back and having listen to you and thinking it through my experience in a different way I also see all of the gifts that that actually provided me in terms of connecting with my intuition in all of the ways my daughter has taught me so Mm. much through not only birth but afterwards as well her name means warrior Mm. and that was just so evident throughout our entire birth and and afterwards as a newborn too and I, I wondered if you know if anyone listening can reflect on that in terms of their own experience, if they're thinking about what they've been through and they may feel those similar things to what I felt in terms of feeling robbed or like your agency or choice has been stripped from you, but actually opening up to the possibilities and the mystery and the meaning that we can make and create from our experience in knowing that, as you said earlier, like this is what has happened. You can't go back and change what has happened, but take the lessons from that. And what do you now know that you wouldn't have learnt if you hadn't been through that experience? Mm-hmm. And, that, you know, it's a very big thing to ask of ourselves because, you know, birth trauma, I did the first, uh, sorry, I did the second ever birth trauma workshop in China in 2019. It's not really an area that I've worked in, but it was really interesting for me to do that workshop. And 
there's different levels of trauma. You know, it, it's a traumatic event that can happen that rise up in the birth from something that's happened in our own life. Or it can be, as we said before, that external imposition, not being seen, not being heard, not being validated, having things done to you that you don't want done to you, those kinds of traumas. And it is very difficult to, you know, heal those things, especially those external impositions. And it's a big ask, you know, to ask a mother and to work with a mother on those because the experience is cellular, it's emotional, it sits in the body, in the muscle memory in so many places. And then we have to mother after that kind of experience. As you know, you work in all of this. So it's a very delicate line that we walk. And at the end of the day, it's about the integration of that experience how do I integrate that how do I process that where was it that maybe I might have you know been a part of that of what had happened too so that is part of the growing and the growth and often it comes down to one's inability to speak one's truth and voice one's needs and then we go back into the way in which we are raised as females in this culture where our voices and our needs and our boundaries are not easily heard or met. And so we go into this deep collective pain that we are all a part of. So then it's not just an individual experience that I had in my birth. It's a collective understanding of the conditioning and the entrainment of us as females. And that is why I love where I'm at now. I'm 60 next year, five years post-menopause. That has been thrown out the window. I do not care anymore what anybody thinks about what I say or do. If it's coming from my inner truth, I speak it loud and clear. I am no longer afraid. So I'm not being run on those hormones that actually, as Jane Hardwick Collins says, where we are accommodating, you know, they are the accommodating hormones. And I say when we lose that accommodation, we come into our absolute brilliance and our liberation like we've never been before. And I find it fascinating, having come to this last rite of passage, that it's menopause when, you know, you lose the, the looks and the, the figure and the body and all of those physical attributes as such, you know, you start to age and we have society that doesn't like women to age because, as I say, my vagina has become my voice and the world doesn't want to hear the voice of powerful women and that is why it keeps us in a box menopause if you can maintain your health and well-being body mind heart spirit you are going to find the radiance of your voice will become really strong and it is such a freedom yeah so the best is yet to come there will be challenges in that rite of passage but there is this incredible freedom you know and I always had that side of me but I've really stepped into it 100%. You know, there's no more bleeding. There's no more bleeding. And my voice is my blood. My voice is my vagina. 
My voice is my strength. And that is why I will keep doing this work as I know women will come into this power. And it's beautiful. And, you know, reach out to us as your elders. We are here. We are here. I do a lot of counselling with women all over the world, in person, on the Gold Coast. And I say, draw on my strength, draw on my experience, and I will hold you in yours and reassure you, you are on the path. Yeah. We need women, elder women, that we can turn to who understand, understand this and will support you. It's very, very important. The elder, wiser women meeting with the younger women, women like yourself doing this amazing work. We want to connect with you. Well, I do. It's really important. And that is how we grow our strength. So you are not alone. I want women to know you are not alone. We have walked this path. We've been in those vulnerable, tearful times we've been in that ecstasy we've been in it all it is a part of the journey it is a part of the journey and the thing that we know about life the constant that we know is that things will always change there's always change can i follow that change can i meet that change in my softened body can I meet that? Where does it land? Can I be curious about it? So we move from judgment to curiosity. That's where we learn. That's where the gold is. The diamond lies in that place of compassion for self. And there is no other journey, Sophie, than this mothering journey that will bring us to these places. But we have to step out of the superficial pathway that society has deemed us to walk, you can say, no, this is a spiritual rite of passage. We have all these spiritual rites of passages, the, you know, men sit in caves and go to the moon and do all these things, but women give birth. This is our spiritual tenement of life. I want you to claim it and I want you to own it. I want you to live it. We birth the way we live. We live the way we birth. The way we birth is important. The way we are left after our birth emotionally is important. It needs to be respected. In 2017, I spoke at the Human Rights in Childbirth Conference in India. And this is what I spoke about. The mother-baby experience needs to be respected and validated as important as having these tenements of sacred principles, again, to raise consciousness. We don't look at birth that way. And I think it's because I've had three physiological, uninterrupted, spontaneous births where no one did anything to me. And so I transcended into that higher place. And you often hear women who have had this kind of experience, you can't go back, yeah? The door of consciousness has opened into another layer, another level, and that is what I wish for all women so we can change the trajectory of the way the world is going from fear and warmongering and division and hatred 
birth gives us the consciousness of what love, tranquility and peace looks like for our fellow human beings. But we can't change it unless we claim it. And that is why I continue doing this embodied birth work. Thank you, Maha. I think after every time you speak, I I start with wow. (laughs) This conversation has been such a gift and I really deeply thank you for that and what you've offered us Mm -hmm. through your words and sharing of your experience. I would love for you to share with listeners how they can connect with you and and what you offer, you know, for people and for birth workers to come in to your leadership in this space. Mm. So I have my website, mahaalmusa.com, and I'm on Instagram under mahaalmusa and Facebook as well. And I'm now moving a lot more into the online world. So I started with my beautiful award-winning book, Dance of the Womb, which you can get as a hard copy or ebook that I actually launched in 2008 when I was pregnant with my daughter. And that's been endorsed by Dr. Michelle O'Donnell, Sheila Kitzinger, Dr. Sarah Buckley. And that's called Dance of the Womb. So it's a world first book on belly dance for pregnancy and birth. But it's not just about the movements of the dance, it's about the movements of my life and how I connected that to the dance movements. So it's got that sacred, intimate you know, narrative. So that's beautiful. And then I created a beautiful video series, Dance of the Womb. So when I was pregnant with my daughter, I took all of the movements from the book and I created those into a video series. So there's also a warm-up on that and my home birth film is on that video series. So the book and that and a few other bonuses is on my website as the Belly Dance Birth Bundle and you can also rent it off Vimeo and there's a couple of other places. But last year, unbeknown to me, with all this COVID happening, I was working on my online program and I went to China the three years before till the end of 2019 and I was about to go again in 2020 and then COVID happened and I just launched my online program, my Embody Birth, Unlock and Awaken Your Ancestral Womb Wisdom online program unbeknown to me that it would become my platform, (laughs) not being able to teach and travel. So that has been doing really well. We've sold that to hundreds of women, some in Vietnam, some in China, England, USA, Australia, all over the world. And it's a very deep dive, wise, conscious birth preparation program, four modules, 21 chapters. You get all the dance chapters as well. But we cover the philosophy and the psychology and the physiology of birth in my language, through my wisdom, as I've been speaking to you today. And we've also got a mini version of that. If you don't want the full program, you can get the mini version, then you can upgrade. But I take you on a very deep dive and there's different activities that we do and suggestions for different things in that. And I have just done my first online embodied birth practitioner certification teacher training and I did the first one yesterday in Vietnam and I'll be offering that in English in October and then all through next year so that is an online certification so the way we've done that is the online program that I was just talking about and the virtual online training together will give you the certification and that will be available soon to sign up to And I want to be able to modify the in-person training because it's an embodied 
you know, experiential training, but I'm interweaving a lot of the videos of me teaching in the different places that I've taught over the last 10 years. And it worked well yesterday. It was really nice to have those snippets of videos. So, yeah, a lot of people just want to sit with me and learn and be in my presence, which is really beautiful. And I feel so grateful that I can now pass on my wisdom in the online world because I reach more women. You know, and I'm not lugging heavy suitcases, (laughs) you know, and sitting on planes. And although I miss all of that, but I resisted it for a very long time because of the embodied nature of the work. But over this last year, I've been a lot online doing webinars and interviews and podcasts, and I can see how powerful it is. Mm -hmm. So I've dropped my resistance. And, yeah, I'm offering that virtual online practitioner training and the online program. So you can teach in body birth and belly dance birth and pass on this really important childbirth education, life education. It's not just birth education. It's about life. It's about taking birth as a spiritual right of practice and applying that to our life. Because what we do is we pluck birth out of the whole woman and sort of set it aside as though it's a specimen on a scientific lab and we sort of chop it up into pieces. No, it's part of the wholeness and the holiness of who we are. So that's really the power of embodied birth. And I also do counselling, as I mentioned, so anyone can get in touch via Instagram or on my website and always happy, always here and, you know, want to just keep sharing my work. And 25 years now, who knows, I could still be going in 50 years. (laughs) Amazing. I hope so. I hope so. Thank (laughs) you for sharing that. And everyone will find all of the links in the show notes. Mm, Thank you. Yes, please reach out. I'd love to hear what you think about this conversation. And I think it's one that would probably benefit from listening to a couple of times. I know Mm. I'll go back and listen. So thank you so much for your time, Maha. Thank you, Sophie. And as I say in Embody Birth, Mama Stay. Mama stay. Lots of love. I hope you've resonated with something from today's episode. If you're a mother who would like to take these conversations further, consider joining my private membership group, Liberated Motherhood. Or if you're somebody who works with mothers, then check out my Motherhood Studies Practitioner Certification. You can find more details about these at my website and reach out and connect at drsophiebrock.com. 